0: Hello, Great Minds. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History, as we finally return for Season 4. So welcome to the show, everyone. I can't believe it's finally time. I can't believe that we're finally back, that my brief off-season is over. But as always, I am your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach Tobacco. and today we begin season four. After two short months off, I am eager to get back to the show. The holidays brought some new podcasting equipment, which I am still trying to figure out if I'm going to keep and use or not, you know, because I really haven't had time to master it. And honestly, I didn't know what to do with myself in January, as my college classes came to a close, winter break was in full swing, and then DGMH was just gone. By February, though, I was finally relaxing. As this is season four, and I will say it's weird to be back to scripted reading and prompted stuff, so if I try and go off script, I apologize, uh, like I just did. But who really gives a shit? Either way, I wanted to start off with a big fuck you to the hellacious little fucker that was season three. Yes, hurricane delays and more plagued my foray, 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 foray sounds right plagued my adventure into Rise and Fall, but Teddy, Philip, Christina, and Nappy 3 certainly kept things interesting. As we start Season 4, I just wanted to give you a quick overview of what's to come, maybe have a drink or two, and give a few clues to who's in the lineup for Season 4. So, Season 4, Four Great Minds, and I told you that we would be keeping to that theme style that I introduced in Season 3. But in case you're just joining us now, from Great Mind to Great Failure, Season 3 looked at four Great Minds that presented an interesting story of Rise and Fall. As we listened, we learned that sometimes Great Minds seemed destined for greatness, even born into it, while others had to build and blaze a path to greatness out of obscurity or the ashes of their predecessors. Fall was even more revealing. It was interesting to see how often the Great Mind, the actor, bared the responsibility for their own idiotic demise. Interestingly, sometimes it was in their so-called fall that their greatness truly was revealed. Still, it was ego, ambition, desire, and a dash of stupidity. These were the things that seemed to undo even the greatest of great minds. But in the end, that was half the fun. And I guess I should have added incest to that list as well, but eh, that's a topic we won't be leaving behind in Season 4, so we'll keep it for now. So let's get to it. Season 4. What will the theme be? Well, I'll tell you. This season will be the season of What If. What? What if? That's fucking stupid, Mr. T. G. M. H. Who the fuck cares what might have been? Who gives two shits about the potential consequences of what didn't happen? Well, I guess this season, I do. And as the great mind Luke Franchuk likes to begrudgingly say on the show, it's your show, Zach, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. And that's what I'm going to do. Don't get me wrong. We are going to examine the real story of a unique cast of great minds, Who they are, well, we'll get into that in just a minute, but we are also going to take a second this season to try and figure out what the future might have held if things had gone just a little different for our great minds of season 4. Honestly, the teacher and the historian in me loathes what ifs. They delay my teaching, they lead to stupid conversations, and they aren't really pertinent to the study of history but I will say the points are thought-provoking, and even kind of fun. Plus, that's what this show is supposed to be, a break for me from teaching and the historian's craft. It's supposed to be fucking fun. So, what if we took a second in each episode this season and explored a potential what-if for these already great minds? Would they, would their worlds have been different, better off, or even devastated beyond repair had things taken a divergent path? I don't know, but I guess we shall see. Now, I'll be honest, I have no clue how this is going to go, and little idea of what I will think as I conduct my research. I have the basic idea of where I want to go, but I never really go into seasons with the full picture. That would require planning, and who the fuck has time for that? As always, though, we shall dive down the beaver hole and see how it all goes. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So what if? What will that mean? Well, like we did with Rise and Fall, after the full episode, we will discuss how history might have taken a different turn had things turned out differently in our great minds' stories. Maybe this will raise one curiosity, maybe two, maybe three, who the fuck knows. As to who we are covering this season, well, I don't really like to outright say it, but I will give you a few clues. But first, we are going to do a soft start to Season 4, a sort of soft launch. Why? Simple. Season 3 damn near killed me. Almost took down the show. But we survived and we are learning from our mistakes. Plus, it's March, Women's History Month, so that will be our focus. I have a great mind planned for next week that won't get the full psych shots treatment, or a chaser, at least for now, but we are going to discuss a woman that I think doesn't get nearly enough attention in the history books. Then, the whole show crew will join me to discuss the women they think had the greatest impact on U.S. history in the Women's History Month special. After that, we or I, I'm not quite sure yet, will ring in the DGMH New Year as we celebrate three years of DGMH, three full years of this shit show, as we begin year four. And more people keep listening, so I guess we'll keep going. Finally, in April, we will start with our first full saga and season four Great Mind. But who are we covering this season? Well, here are your hints. Our four great minds of season four will be filled with stories of religious war, renegade kings, unrivaled seductions, and celebrated folk heroes, plus murder, incest, excommunication, and kilts. So here are my clues for you. Up first, we will visit France, Rome, and the British Isles as we spend a handsome amount of time with our first princely tale. Then we will explore a truly beautiful story of love, betrayal, poisoning, civil war, and denial as we head just a little further south. From there, we will abandon the Mediterranean and journey across the pond to South America as we explore a revolutionary who resisted unmatched oppression and tyranny to his death. Plus, he literally likely murdered his predecessor, so that's, you know, fun. Oddly, poisoning is becoming quite a big theme for this season as well, so I'm sure it will show up from time to time too. Finally, we will end our season, yes, we're sticking to Four Great Minds as well because that's when I start to lose my mind, with one of the most impactful figures in Western history. A truly great revolutionary, an avid drinker, a would-be handyman who never really intended to be great or revolutionary. Well, those are your clues. Did you figure out who's coming your way? If not, don't worry, we will get there in time. So that's season four, in the making, as a preview. Either way, we should probably add some history for you to go with all this drinking for me, as that is kind of the promise I make every time I sing. And oh, do I hate... I need a drink, hold on. That's good. That's fucking good. Anyway, I do have a love-hate relationship with this part, coming up with a random, obscure history topic to talk about in these preview episodes, closers of the seasons, etc. I mean, I wish there was some sort of precursor to all this that would be a great start to the fourth season. Of course, there are no major holidays going on or major events that are of note to me. Birthdays and death, that's more of a Facebook page thing. So what the fuck are we going to talk about today? Oh, I don't know. How about... Poison. Ironically, I am actually going to be speaking about this topic in an upcoming event on nightshades and famous moments of poisonings in history at Selby Botanical Gardens, where I speak now. I don't know if you heard. I did gin. I'm doing vodka next. Is uh, I don't even know what the, the, the liquor is that time. But still, if you ever get a chance, follow us on the social media. You saw the pictures of Cullen, Sherry, Kelly, Mrs. DGMH, and myself having a damn good time at this speaking engagement. I even posted a clip of some of the stuff I had to say. Either way, I will talk more on that later, but for today, since poison just so happens to be, surprisingly, and I mean I had like no idea when I went into this recording that it was going to be so tied to this season, I figured we'd look at a short story of one of the most famous poisoners in European history. And again, I won't lie, this is someone I hadn't heard of. I mean, I tossed around a few ideas for this topic. From Rasputin, Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen, to rumors of famous figures like Napoleon Bonaparte being poisoned, even the death of Charlie II, which was tied to self-induced accidental mercury poisoning, I had a lot of topics to choose from. Hell, Catherine de' Medici was even called by her less-liked contemporaries the poison queen. So there is a lot to talk about. But then I found her. Julia Tifana, a woman's story that I somehow missed in all my years of studying and teaching early modern European history, which makes me feel very sad. So that's what we're going to talk about. Julia Tifana was likely born around 1620 in Palermo, Italy. Her mother was also an infamous poisoner named Tifania D'Amato, who actually poisoned her own husband in 1633. Some believe that Giulia's unique poison, called aqua Tafana, was a sort of family recipe passed down by her mother. Julia eventually fled Sicily for Naples and then made her way to Rome, where she set up a front selling cosmetics to women of the city. Sold as either an oil or powder, and under the guise of mana de Saint Nicholas of Bari, this was not the kind of gift we'd expect to see associated with our season 3 closer, that is, Santa. As to the poison, aqua tefana was a simple little blend of lead, arsenic, and belladonna, or nightshade. It was administered with clever instructions to ensure its elusiveness. Given over three or four doses, the first would incite fatigue, the second nausea and diarrhea, and the final dose or doses would finish the job. Julia also instructed her clients to feign sadness, weep, and sit by their victim's side to avoid suspicion. On the topic of raising suspicion, as an apothecary owner and distributor of cosmetics, the materials needed were easily accessible and making the concoction would have been seemingly part of Julia Tafana's regular day's business. Sneakily, Aqua Tafana did not show like a typical poisoning, and allowed the killers to appear loyal and grieving by their sick husband's bedside. And that's important to the market, as this was sold primarily to wives trying to escape an abusive or less than desired marriage. What is even more amazing is that the business was virtually operated by word of mouth alone. I mean, it isn't like she could put a fucking sign in the window that said, Hey, want to kill your husband? Mm, Stop in and talk to Julia Tafana." So if it was so elusive and secretive, how was she caught? Well, the answer to that is cold feet. Basically, one of her clients aimed to serve her husband a sort of aqua Tafana soup and got scared and backed out. Her suspicious and likely piece of shit husband demanded explanation. This led the authorities, I should say the church, to Julia Tafana. By the end of her tenure as the, what I'm going to call, Princess of Poison, she had created a poison ring that would outlive her, and depending on how you take it, it was really a successful enterprise. Some accounts point to Julia Tafana being responsible for the death of over 600 men over 18 years. A body count, by the way, tied to her own confession. This confession, of course, was taken under duress, Julia being brutally tortured in the process, but still we're going to stick with that number because it really makes this story more exciting and she was executed for her crimes in the de Fiori in 1659. Maybe. There is some debate on this. Some accounts actually say she just died peacefully in a convent never having been captured. Others say that she was actually executed much later. Generally, however, accounts agree that she hung up her poison making by the 1650s, maybe just because of her death. Beyond that, the number of deaths tied to her name and poison varies from account to account, as her poisoning ring continued on in secret after her death. Her confession led to the arrest of several aristocratic women who were exiled or imprisoned and the execution of several peasant women. Her poisons, although not made by her hand, were even said to have been used in an attempt on Louis XIV's life in what is known as the Affair of the Poisons, and Mozart strongly believed that his death was being excited by aqua Aquatafana. Still, one thing that has been nagging at me is the motive. It is generally believed that Julia came from an abusive household, her and her mother the victim of her father. In an act of desperation, her mother acted. This act likely spawned our poisoner for today. Yet she wasn't a killer in the sense that I don't think she enjoyed killing people. In a weird way, she probably saw herself as helping her clients and not hurting the victims of their crimes. In the criminology and psychology world, of which I am no expert, I believe she might be classified as an Angel of Mercy killer, or at least an Angel of Mercy killer by proxy. In a time when women had little agency, if any at all, wives were helpless in escaping harmful relationships and marriages that they never wanted to be in in the first place. That is until Julia Tafana gave them the means to act. I mean, she helped the fucking helpless. Not a justification for her actions, they're still murder, but it is still an observation worth making. From enslavement to revolution, murder, war, and radical action, the most drastic of brutal tortures, have been deemed necessary on countless occasions to overcome extremely oppressive societal structures. Is this really that much different? Fuck if I'd know. I mean, arguably, patriarchy might have been the most challenging obstacle for anyone to overcome in this period. So I guess we'll leave it at that. But since this is the season of what-ifs, I figured we'd better give it a go from the, you know, get-go. So we will keep this one simple. I mean, only one question really came to mind when examining Julia Tafana's life. The loss of life. I mean, 600 deaths, poisonings attributed to her little reign of terror or mercy, depending on your perspective. One query quickly came to mind. So I ask you, what if she had never been caught? We will keep this one quick. Beyond inspiring others and successors, Aqua Tafana was deadly and hard to trace. Some sources say she operated for nearly three decades. That's an average of 20 poisonings per year. My simple math tells me that had she lived to be a reasonable age of around, oh, let's say 50, just 20 more years, that she would have been able to bring about the death of another at least 400 victims. That's terrifying. But she was killed, and our little angel of mercy or death was no more. I will say this was an interesting tale, one I had never heard before. Certainly very little in the way of academic research on her, but still very much a story worth noting. Well, that's it. Starting the season off right, I decided to make a little poison-themed cocktail and go with a poison apple martini. Of course, this is just an apple teeny with sumon vodka as always and apple pucker. I spiced it up with a little caramel liqueur as well and a drizzle of caramel on the rim to make it fun and pretty. Sweet, tasty, and hopefully not poisonous, although it might start to feel that way if I have too many more of these. I'm not going to rate this one formally. We'll save ratings for next time. Either way, welcome to Season 4, the season of What Ifs. I hope you enjoy it, I hope it's fun, and I hope it's easier than Season 3. But what if you're all caught up and looking for even more great DGMH content? Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, then I hope you'll consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. Just follow the link in the show notes. There, listeners, can get access to all sorts of great content, including some special moments in history from our Moments series that include topics like the Bourbon Reforms, the Crusades, and an unfolding epic on the Thirty Years' War, plus all sorts of pregame shenanigans. You'll get access to bonus last call episodes from your favorite rounds of shots and a twist of psych. We cover famous battles, bonus matchups, and other psychology concepts. Of course, you will get access to our chat segments where Cullen chats with me about China and I chat with him about Portugal. And finally, all patrons get access to a discussion on what I'm teaching currently in my classroom. I think that's all of it, and I can't see myself adding too much more to that lineup. It keeps me pretty busy as it is. But... If you're on there, thank you. If not, I hope you'll consider checking it out. But please, either way, be sure to leave the show a great, hopefully, five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Please tell your friends about the show, have them listen, check it out, and hopefully become as loyal a follower as you. And speaking of following, be sure to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at DGMHHistory and join the Drinks With Great Minds in History Facebook group. Plenty of fun chats and memes shared there. Well, as we wrap this up, I will say it feels fucking fantastic to be back on DGMH. I have missed my friends, I have missed writing, I have missed having something to complain about all the time. Unsurprisingly, though, I kept on drinking. I mean, fuck dry January, and I won't be giving it up for Lent either. So I guess sorry to my grandmother for that one. Either way, next week, I will be back with an episode on a woman of American history that I think deserves so much more attention than she gets. Jeanette Rankin. And from there, I will welcome back the whole DGMH family for a round of social drinking to celebrate Women's History Month. And finally, closing out March, I will ring in the DGMH New Year as we start the show's fourth year. So what's missing? Chins? Meh, I'm good. Beavers? Yes, always please. Shots? Guaranteed. So I guess we're good. Cheers.